on, grab a hand, hook up. Father, pray that this word and your truth would hit our hearts. God, I pray we would, we would just stay in this deep rhythm of knowing who you are and discovering you constantly. We bless your name. Amen. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Something Charles said a few weeks ago has kind of gripped my heart and I want to share with you this morning. You know, I, I just, let's just start with that, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. This is Paul speaking to the Corinth, which is quite a group, and two great letters he has to him. This is the first of them. He's gone past the entrance and the introductions and the, and the sharing, and he's kind of moving into the meat of what he's saying. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, not yet the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, hidden. Mystery, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, heard, nor has it ended the heart of men, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. Now look, this isn't a fantasy. This isn't a, a dream that we're talking about. This is a reality. The, the place we live in is the hunger that we have in the presence, for the presence of God. To see what we know is there, but know is there, but we haven't seen it yet. To hear that we know is spoken, but it hasn't been spoken yet. And we keep driving toward this. This comes from a beautiful passage of scripture in, in Isaiah 64. I just want to read it to you. 64, 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. What a beautiful translation. Who acts for the one who waits for him. This puts almost a little turn in this ambiguous statement, no eye has heard, but the context is those who are leaning toward God, that he acts for those who wait expectantly, not just in resolve or or like, I, that's it. But I know, I know, I know. And Charles, when he shared this, this one little word, he shared this, no eye has seen. Of course, we know, arise, awake, arise, count on all joy, no eye has seen. I had just been like, hold it right there. I can't get that out of my heart. Like, no eye has seen. Because what are we doing all of this for? It's for this right here. The discovery, the unveiling, the revealing of who God is. That when I, in my perfect life in college, was unstopped, everything I was touching was turned to gold, found God, he was the more. It wasn't a dirge in my life, was falling apart. And everybody has a testimony. But my testimony was when everything was just great, I hungered for him more. And I wanted to know, like, what is it about life? What is it? And now, you know, everything, you're all in the 70s and the college, and it's all happening, and, and it's just, you're so cool, but it's just not enough. Isn't that crazy in the, the, the quietness of your soul, whether you're in a huge group that's at a great dance party, or you're quietly studying in your room, or whatever it would be, that still you have this part, this pit, that like, that this, even though it's all going great, it's empty. And you can't say it in words, but you know it is true. It's the more. It's why you're sitting here this morning. It's why we gather. It's why we wrestle through how do we live? How do we get everything in the right place? And then how do we live on the inside? How do we enjoy it? How do we be in the moment? How do we, and we need this coach, this friend, this, oh, it's such a lame word, coach, friend, this God who works from the inside in our lives 
and reaches into the depths of who we never thought we were or didn't know we were and brings it out. And in every day eating your cereal or going to work with a cup of coffee in your hand. It's stunning, amazing. The God who created all the universe. Oh, we're going to talk about it, but to see all that who has totally personal interest in my life. Just still true today, personally interested in my personal life and my cares and my thoughts and my desires in a day. Is that stunning or what? I'm not angry. I'm happy. I'm telling you. I'm trying to shake us to in the midst of this whirlwind that we're in. And life is a whirlwind that there's always this book is full of whirlwinds, wars and craziness and affluence and the course of men's lives. And it's filled with the truth. It's a documentation historically, relationally, spiritually of a God who's chasing us and men who are chasing God. And it's littered with failures of men that, that failed in finding, but it's filled, filled with men being found and finding. Filled. And we see ourselves in these pages from the very front to the very back. And if we can't lose that, it takes attending to, giving time with, just like your marriage, just like your friends, just like your children, like your job. But this never leaves us and continues. And it makes everything else work beautifully. Even when it doesn't work beautifully. Is that cool? I hope I'm not making too ambiguous a statement. But in the crazy chaos of life, this centers our lives, make no mistakes, and it makes it worth it. And what is it is God. What he's talking about is God here. God that loves you and chases you down. Paul speaks about in Ephesians, he calls it the fellowship of the mystery. And this begins by the mystery of who God is. Man, First Chronicles 2, Ephesians 3, and First Timothy 3, they speak to our lives about the unveiling of God. Now, what I want to explain to you is that this mystery, if you switch over a little bit to Ephesians 3, it says this. Verse 9, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the church, to the principalities and powers of heaven. And what it really is saying here, if I could explain it to you, is this is a, it's not a history that, a mystery that's hidden secretly, but the real translation is that it's a mystery that is made completely plain and that is constantly unfolding. It's a huge difference. God's not playing cat and mouse with our lives. In Christ, when he sent Jesus in the world, his heart and his spirit and everything about him came together and to connect and counter men. And to welcome him into relationship with him. Saying there's no bar. There's no hold. There's no break between you and me. Sin has been dealt with. And if you come to me in faith. If you come to me believing in Christ. Now Jesus the person of me in the world. And you come falling in love with him. You will find everything. Everything is plain. In fact if you watch Jesus' life. If you see the words he said and read them and hear them. Watch the miracles he did. Everything is completely plain, like a table for everybody to come to. That there's no questions. Everything you want to ask is here. It's not like, oh, I'm going to hold. It's like, it's all out there right now. 
Plain for everybody to see. And the more you look, the more you see. The more you hear, the more you understand. It's so amazing. So every lean into the word that you have, every prayer that you have, every searching for God, and you give your heart to him, that is a revealing of who he is, and it never, never ends. Stunning. The only thing that can compare briefly about that is a marriage, but the, the, the constant moving toward one and discovering one another over 50, 40, 30, 10, 80 years. It's amazing that you set your heart to discover another, another human being, witnessing their life and cultivating a relationship of intimacy. That's the only parallel I can think of that and the discovery of a new child being born and watching that child engage in the, in the world and seeing them discover, God, this stuff is magical in our lives. Don't miss it. Don't miss the life that's right in front of you. This wonderful, powerful, supernatural life. In the beginning, and to take you back, now you understand this is made plain, correct? You got your coffee face just all over you. Help me out, seriously, okay? What does George just say? Get your, get your Hebrew face, get your, get your Jewish face on. Get rid of that Gentile face. Okay, so, right. From the beginning, you know, it just if you walk in and take a look at this chase of men toward God and God toward men, Genesis 4, it's the story of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, and Abel's been killed by Cain, and they have Seth. How many are tracking? Am I going too fast for you? So at the end, chapter verse 26, it says, right in, at the end of this part of this big conflict and Seth has Enos, and so on it goes with this great struggle and conflict has come into the very family of God, like, oh, the creation, oh, you know, and it's like, oh, man, like what was meant so good, it just went so bad, and it says, and then man began, began to call on the name of the Lord in worship, is what it says, it's just, it's not, hey, there it is, and, and they begin, I love that, like, it's like, Wait, what? It's it's indicative of revealing that there's this struggle or conflict. And then men, out of everywhere, began to reach out. There has to be more. There has to be an answer to this mess I'm in. If you're sitting there this morning and praying for the perfect life, just get over it. Let me explain that to you. You are, this is, this is smack dab, bam, right in the middle of a broken world. We're in a broken world. Get over the, I'm going to make this perfect world. I'm going to make this perfect house for my family. Of course you want to make it. If OCD lives big in my house. Trust me, it's all perfect. David got his double portion. Good for you. Anyway, so. <laughs> it's all we want it to all be good. But it's really this leaning is what's good. That makes whatever mess it is, that's great. But here in men in Genesis 4, they cry out. There must be more. We begin to call on the name of the Lord. And they're reaching out for God. It's the same. What's so beautiful about this, it's the same passage of words, phrases that Abraham used when, when he went to Bethel, Bethel. And, um, and he, and it says he pitched his tent and built his altar and called on the name of the Lord. It's that same pursuit of Moses. It's the same pursuit of Elijah when he called on the name of the Lord in 1 Kings chapter 8, 18. And he's, he's just putting the big test between Baal, the prophets, right? And, 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 and God. And he says, build an altar, right? Go ahead. Build yours. You call on your God and I'll call on mine. 
He's awesome. And we, of course, we know the story. He waits all day. They cut themselves. He, he teases them. Maybe he's tired. Maybe he's gone to the bathroom. Actually, stand aside. That's what he says. You're God. You know, nothing happens. Then he steps up and calls on the name of the Lord and says, God, just show them who you are, and I'm here to serve you. And he pours water on this. You know the story, right? Three times. Then God comes and just turns it to dust. And they fall on their faces. That call in the name of confidence. Like, God, I know you're there. Oh, come on. It's the same heart that, even though not the same words, but the same positioning that Job had in moving to God through this terrible calamity and tragedy that happens in his life. That he's relentless in keeping posture toward God. Says he calls on him. Then God answers him. Amazingly. These all these stories from Elijah to 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 Moses to to Abraham, all these, it's just fascinating that here's Abraham, all he wants is to have a home and a land, and he becomes one of the greatest sojourners that have ever lived. But what he carries in his heart establishes something for all of us, a home away from this home we're in. Isn't that fascinating? Moses, a brilliant leader, ready to charge, becomes a great learner of God for the great Ten Commandments that are handed to him. He finds out who God is. From there, all the law comes. But the heart of the law, law that Jesus reminds us, is, is that to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul takes it one further. In this, by loving your neighbor as yourself, you're still fulfilling the law. What do you mean? Well, it's going all the way back to the heart of Abraham, just relationship. The law was a great revealing of who God was, but it was really only meant to hone your heart, helping you, giving you tools to spend closer time with him. This word to drive us, encourage us, constrain us, compel us to come closer. I will, this this all helps me, but nothing takes the place of God, you and me. So stunning. We all know the scriptures, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God. All these things shall be added unto you and his righteousness, your right standing. Gosh, love Matthew 7, 7, knock and it shall, seek and you will find, knock and it shall be open to you. Come on. These things, these are promises that are like steel girders and foundations in our faith. Well, I don't qualify. Well, I've messed up. I made a mistake. It doesn't say anything about that just says call. Just call. Seek. Knock. Ask. You will receive. Come on. Trying to shake us back to what this is all about. Gosh, just a life that we individually and together have so much to discover. If we continue to attend to this, and give our life to it, it's the answer to the world. The world system, the world spirit, all that whirlwind. Gosh. It's just fabulous. Elijah, in the great power that he had, in all the declarations, stopping the water, killing the Baal prophets, his answer comes in a still small voice in front of a cave. God is fascinating and brilliant. Each person showing us that each one counts. I got wrecked this past week. Pat and I were talking about it, reading just the genealogy of Jesus in, in 
up through his father's side, going backwards from Jesus all the way up to Adam, his, the son of God. Why, John? Because everybody had a real name in there and had a real family and really lived and was a lineage, part of that thread of faith, love, and hope that held on and brought the Son of God to this world, the embodiment of God, that God rode his way into our lives, co- cooperating with the faith of men who hungered after him, and he is always hungered for. Come on. Read it. I just got wrecked reading that. I got wrecked reading Job and that out of all the explanation that here God answers him out of the whirlwind and just challenges his heart with his life. Stand there and I will question you. You will answer me. Just stop right there. God does that for us. How many have raised a hand or a question to God or forced a discussion with him? Come on. In anger, in truth, in earnest, in brokenness, come on. Don't stop. Let's not stop. Turn to somebody and promise them I'm not stopping. Not stopping that. Ah. All right. Ugh. How do we do this? If we go to the Gospels, it's really wonderful. Like, Okay, we know we're supposed to seek. We know we're supposed to call. We know we're supposed to reach out. We know there's, there's, you know, in any condition we're in. But there is some things that I do want to show with you in Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. Let's go there real quickly, okay? I'll do that too, as soon as I get there. It's in Matthew 11, 13. It's in Mark 4. It's in Luke 8. Jesus is speaking to him. It seems unfair when he says these things. From the days, verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist, that's all right, guys. Until now, I was just talking to the tech team. Until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violence to take it by force. I'm in the wrong place. No, I'm in. No, I'm not. No, it's 1311. I'm sorry. There you go. Although I really like that scripture, but that's okay. I mean, I really like that scripture. I really like it. So. That was not by accident. How's that? That was a great scripture. Come on. I mean, come on. Seriously. <laughs> Verse 11. This is, he's sharing the parables. How many know in all three of the gospels, he's sharing the parables. And he's saying, look, because it has been given you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Well, that doesn't seem too fair. Why is he saying that? Forever has to him more will be given. He will have abundance. But who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now this seems really unfair, doesn't it? Come on, folks. We've got to go down deeper and seek what he's talking about. He goes on to say in verse 16, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and blessed are your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is the one key. So underneath here is the desire of the disciples is what God is looking for. That translation desire means to set one's heart upon, eagerly long for, covet, greatly desire, in fact, almost to lust after, like to cannot be satisfied, I must get to know you. Hunger. So what I want to share with you is just a couple of things. There are probably three really important things that are caveats. And then it goes on to say, 
in these scriptures, if you go into Mark, if you go into Luke, it says, take heed how you hear. How many have heard this before? Take heed. And that's really what it's saying is this. Luke 8, 18. Take heed how you hear. Be careful. Give careful attention to your hearts as you listen. Oh, oh, well, there's a bit of a condition here. In your hunger, agree. But in this, the condition of our hearts are really important. And don't you ever know when you're in a conversation, if you lean into the wrong part of this conversation, or you let your heart go to some indulgent judgment in it, you have the, how you know we're going the wrong way. Did you ever feel that from the Holy Spirit talk to you about that? I feel this is really important in our season. Like, guys, we're, we're not animals, and we're not just reacting people. But people of God are certainly people of covenantal, meaning we learn how to live by our choices and our values. We set our priorities, therefore learning how to love well. This is important. This is important. These people are important. I value. I continue to keep that value there because I know here and in here that this is important in my life. So I know how to speak about people because I know God loves them, so I'm going to love them. I don't feel like loving them, but I'm going to choose to. Does that make sense? So in the same way, as we attend to the inward self, we're going to adjust and listen to how we are listening. Am I doing it in love? Am I doing it in kindness? The inside. That doesn't mean you can't be strong and powerful, but it means that you have to attend to the condition of your heart. Take heed how you hear. Jesus begins in Matthew 5 with the Beatitudes saying, this is the posture of our heart and I see it. This is work. This will work. This is the condition of men's lives. But these postures will bring the kingdom of God to them, to you. And he, he brilliantly and powerfully and beautifully attends to the condition of men's hearts, bringing on what really brings life to them. Poor in spirit, meek. Come on, how many read that? Those who are poor in spirit. What do you mean by poor in spirit? Understanding that I'm not enough. And God, you are, I believe, somehow. Even though it doesn't seem like it, I'm, I'm lowering myself to, to reach to you Regardless of the circumstances, I'm bowing my heart to you knowing that I'm not enough. If I, my ego is the greatest, I recognize it's not enough. That's what poor in spirit is in my translation, okay? John Leach translation, not my, but also the meek, strength under control. That I have all this, but even if I use all this without you or without purpose, it's gonna be purposeless. How am I doing? Come on. Those who mourn, a sense of regret that could have been different, holding on to, but the future could be changed. Come on, God, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. These are really keys to us in taking heed and hearing because addressing the posture or condition of our hearts. So in this, humility is so important. One, two, hunger is greatly important. And then also, we talked about in Ephesians, he actually says, we have access boldly to the throne of God. And that access is based on the faith of God, trusting in him. Not our faith, but like, God, I can't let go that you are who you say you are. So in our lives, as we're looking for God, humility is that ability, like, it's not a brokenness, a breaking of our lives as much as it's a letting go of our ability to, or our, our, our self to, to make things happen. And God, I'm holding on to you, even though 
and believing you're going to be able to do this even if I can't, even if I fail. That's why that cross is so important for us to walk through all the time. I know this is very exciting stuff. I can tell inside, but it's that I can't let go, but I know I'm not enough and I surrender. I realize it's you and so I'm going to step out and trust you. Hungers, I'll never stop wanting the more. That even if it goes the best or it's the worst, you're in here somewhere and there's an answer to this. And you can make it. It's that Romans 8.28. That I keep my heart on you. You can turn even that which is evil. You can make all things work together. That hunger. I've seen people who are hungry but not humble. I've seen people who are humble but don't have enough faith because they're broken. Because they, they are letting go. They, they back off. They, it's too much. But you got all three working together. Oh my gosh. It's so amazing. There are huge pools that bring the, the presence and power of God in our life like no other place. Where do we apply them? Well, Romans, let me take you one more step. Romans 11, verse 25, talks about, Paul's talking about the mystery of the Gentiles in the, it's an obstacle to the Jewish people. And, and he's, I'm paraphrasing, but he says that all of Israel will be saved because of the Gentiles. What do you mean? Because he put an obstacle to stir their faith and stir their love. Not to exclude them or to say they're not important, but so what do you mean, John? Well, the pattern there is that the obstacles in our lives, relationally, overtly, practically, spiritually, are placed there in a sense to draw out the humility, draw out the hunger, and draw out the faith that will be able to go around them and come or go through them with God and overcome them. Come on, think about the obstacles in front of you. They're placed there by the world or by the system. What does it matter how they're placed? But what is really important is the overcoming. And in it, you're wrestling through it. The hunger of God, God, I want you to come through this. The humility, God, I, I hold on to you as I'm going through it. And then, then the faith, I believe you're greater. It helps you find or navigate your way through. Because the Holy Spirit hones our heart to love, to hope, to trust, to go lower, to be kind, to stay a word, to be faithful, to be strong. How am I doing? <laughs> You're so quiet. <laughs> so powerful. The mystery of God, and then what happens then is you find him. Skip on over to First Timothy. We'll close with this. First Timothy three. Verse fourteen. These things I write to you, though I come to come to you shortly, for I am de- for I am delayed. I write that you may know how to ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. For without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. John, what are we talking about? It said, it said in Ephesians, God is releasing this mystery to the church, of course, and to go against the principalities and powers of darkness that are out there. How many know? But this is like, don't read this with religious mind. And there's in mind, read it with like relationship and community. This community as we gather together is no joke. And every church that gathers together is holy ground. Holy because we put our hearts and souls before the Lord, learning how to love one another, love our own selves, love our families, and love one another. 
And as we do that, then we learn how to conduct ourselves in humility, in hunger, in love, in faith toward God, overcoming those things. And then it's this mystery of God that here's the power, that the very mystery, the presence of God, the person of God comes into our lives and we know him massively. Ephesians, to know, to love the love of God, be rooted and grounded in him. And then it's the knowing of God in our personal lives, the knowing him among us like we're in worship and the goodness of God breaks out. How many know that? I can feel that this morning. The hope of God comes into our lives. And then in, as we're doing this, there's a revealing of the aspects of God among us. This great revealing that he was born and manifest in the flesh is what it says here. Six things. The second one, he was he was justified by the Spirit. He was seen by angels, preached throughout the earth, believed by all men, and received up into heaven. What? Just let me submit this to you. What an amazing outline for our own lives. If we're in Christ and Christ-like, and Jesus is, we are the body of Christ, then everywhere, everywhere in all flesh and all the world, he will be manifest. And I, I'm taking a little liberty and don't want to be a blasphemer in theology, but but we'll be justified in the spirit. Will we be perfect, but in the spirit? No. We're all flawed men, but in we're rightly justified to him. Just like Abraham was justified by his faith. How am I doing, guys? Men come in. You have to understand, men come into this culture and feeling and reality when they're with us as we gather in our homes or as we gather as a family. Or as you're walking around as an individual, those realities live inside of you. Seeing my angels, the wonder, supernatural power of God. Preach, spoken, using words and not using words. Into every man's heart, believe. We, this is an outline for the world will believe the truth when it's presented to them. And then the glory of God resting, receives the glory. What a beautiful template for the mystery of God. That men can partake of his godliness. And we can be sinless in a sense, like justified to him by relationship. That's the hope. That you are carrying this morning as you come in this place. And get your kids set and get everything and park your car and get here and plan to get here. That you're walking into something that is more in life. And this reality, there's no one who's like, there's no one that can, it's not a cause, it's a person. And that's the rooted and grounded and being in love with Jesus. Stand to your feet. We'll close. I feel I've done a poor job getting you into this in your hearts. But you get to work on it the rest of the week, okay? Fall in love with the Lord. I love out of the whirlwind that Job was answered by God. That his hunger, his tenaciousness toward God, God reaches right out of that whirlwind and speaks to his heart. He takes him to a bigger, bigger place. Job's response is, I'm vile. But what's powerful is that God absorbs the very life of Job into such huge, more wonder, more power, more life than Job could ever imagine. Did he, did he have loss? Did he have pain? Absolutely. Did it cost him? Absolutely. But he was brought into this larger place and understand that it's not denying circumstances. 
but it's greater than circumstances. Abraham pitched his tent. His dwelling place was conditional, but he built his altar. His character was forever. Job was challenged, but God wouldn't let him touch. It's such a beautiful part in the second chapter. So you can, you can touch him. He comes for his body. But he said, but you can't touch his life. What does that tell me? Job is more than his body. This essence, this person of Job is what held on to God and didn't sin. He didn't let go. So everything else is stuff. And we get to have it. Even our own bodies. But the person, the, the building the altar, the person that will continue before the Lord, this is where God dwells. He is spirit. And he meets us. What he says about Moses, he met him face to face. That's where God meets us. We get all the rest, but that's what's really the powerful point. Inside life with him. Let him answer you out of this whirlwind in the next weeks and months. From the darkness to the light. Let the mystery of God unfold. In your understanding, in your person, let godliness come and have its way. It is greater than the sin. It is greater than the addiction. It's greater than the oppression. It's greater than the discouragement. It is greater than. Discourages is meant, it's just disenchantment with the things that you held dear. But it's a chance to break away and hold on to who, him who is most dear to your life. This is a brilliant adventure. I'm not kidding you. On your sofa having a cup of coffee, it's a brilliant adventure. In your car listening to the word, it's a stunning adventure. Your heart comes out of your chest and you've discovered God in a different way. I never saw that. I never thought that. I never saw it that way, God. Wow. Your love is greater. I can do that. I can be that way. I can address that situation like that because now I see it like you see it. I can overcome. I can endure that. Because that's the way you do things. Paul said, ah, these light afflictions. These light afflictions. Should read that resume. Come on. Shake yourself loose from all those things that entangle you. Come on, do it right now. Shake yourself loose. I'm done with that. I'm done with that. I'm done with that. I'm done. I'm moving on. I'm lightening the load. I got a mystery to find out. And it's unfolding every day, and I'm jumping right in the middle of it. I got a broken world that's going to get fixed. And I'm going to be a part of it. And I get to have my turn. I get to. And I'm not wasting it. God, you're just the best. And this will never end my relationship with you. Ever. You make everything. Everything in my life greater. You make it mean things. You give it purpose. Your warmth. Your life. 
Come on. I'm going to look at things through faith. Come on. I'm going to believe you. Not hurrah faith, but trust in you. I'm going to look at them differently. I'm going to learn how to love. I'm going to learn. Come on. Do you agree with me this morning? What's at stake? Everything. Everything. Father, bless us as we embrace you. The days ahead are full of wonder and discovery. Easy or hard, suffering or pleasure, we will walk through it together with you. Everything we have comes from you. And everything we are, we know belongs to you. Pour out your grace these days. Give us a depth in knowing, loving, that will settle our lives. Center and give us peace. It will give us peace. Come on, touch the person beside you. You can connect and say, come on, bring it on, God. Let's go. I will not give up by God's grace. And if I can, I'll help you. Come on, speak that to that person beside you. If I can, I'll help you too. Bless you. Bless you. Bless this house, the call of this house, of the presence and pursuit of God in his presence, his life, your life, Father. I pray that it's not just when we come here, but it's everywhere. In our cars, at the kitchen sink, when we gather together in the backyards, when we're honed up in a snowstorm in our house, God, it's all good. You're there. From one generation to the next, we get to do this together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for letting me rant with you. All right, bless you. Make room for the next crew. And if you want to stay and watch the dedication, bless you all. May God's peace now who's able to keep you. Keep you from falling, present you blameless before the Lord. I release you and bless you. Amen. And there's altar time. If you need some prayer, please don't leave without getting prayer. We have people prayed up and ready to go. Amen.